This month and every month, Penguin Random House invites readers to uplift AAPI stories and read Asian authors. From books like Kathy Park Hong's vital new essay collection, Minor Feelings, to Kevin Kwan's irresistible beach read, Sex and Vanity, we're celebrating the stories that make us laugh, cry, and feel seen. Throughout the month of May, Penguin Random House is donating 15% of their site profits to Asian Americans advancing justice, up to $30,000. Find your next read at penguinrandomhouse.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Tinger Shea. Tinger is an LA-based travel and food blogger with a passion for sharing, promoting cultural diversity, travel tips, and healthy regional cuisines. And with over 11 years of digital advertising experience and over four years as a content creator, she works with brands and tourism boards alike. Because of her expertise in this industry, she has been featured on BuzzFeed, Tastemade, Matador Network, and The Thrillist. Tinger is the founder of Dash of Media, which is a fully integrated business solutions consultancy that provides expertise for digital marketing, influencer marketing, content creation, and expansion activations. With 17 years of digital advertising experience and content creation combined, Tinger has built strong relationships with media partners, vendors, and influencers. Tinger, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me in such a nice intro. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you. You're extremely impressive and we're so excited to have you on. I know we want to, we're so happy to have you in the show. We want to hop right into it. You know, like how'd you, what this idea of entrepreneurship and freelancing, was it something that you had in your DNA the whole time? Like how did your childhood shape this version of yourself? You know, ever since I was very young, I've always had, these little side hustles, mostly just for fun. I would walk dogs and I would charge my neighbors like a dollar, like every time I'd walk them because I wanted a dog so badly, but my parents said no. Um, and then even in, um, college, I started creating, uh, like events and then charging companies to attend the events, but have the event be free for students, um, because it was a career fair. And then on my last, gosh, not to date myself, but um, my last year of college, I started creating websites because back then creating websites was, it was very hard. This is like the front page days, you know, where you, you didn't have like Wix or I don't even know if you had WordPress back then, but you manually had to code everything. So I would just like create these websites that didn't look that great. But back then it was like a big deal. And then I would just sell them to these like sororities and fraternities and I would make like $200 an hour. So <laughs> I was... Yeah, creating these little opportunities for myself, and that kind of helped shape where I am today. That's really awesome to yeah, hear. That's amazing. And talk about your experience growing up. I I think you were born in Taiwan. Is that correct? Correct. So I, my family and I were originally from Taiwan. Um, all of us except my youngest sister was born in the U.S. And I came here when I was about three years old. My father um, was here to get a Ph.D. degree and then my mom convinced him not to leave. So <laughs> that's why we ended up staying here. And, and I'm very, very grateful for that. 
amazing. And so while you were growing up, did your parents kind of have like a tiger parent mentality where they had like expectations of what you wanted to do uh, for your career or were they more like laid back? Oh no, they were very strict. Like they were like, you can't rest. Um, you can't play sports until you get a 1300 on your SATs, which I finally did on my third try. <laughs> and then, yeah, it took a little bit of time. Um, and they wanted me to actually go into computer science. They had told me they're like, Hey, we'll pay for your college. If you, um, enroll in the computer science program. So I did that. And to be honest, I didn't like it at all, but my parents did also enroll me into like a web designing, um, class as well. So that's how I learned how to like write an HTML and create those websites. So it, it did pay off a little bit, but it was very torturous, probably the first two years of college, um, before I decided to, uh, enroll in like economics classes. And that way, from there, my parents are like, especially my dad was like, I don't know what you're going to do with your life. Like I don't know the econ degree. And I was like, Oh, I'll just go into finance. I think I could make a lot of money doing that. And so when they heard that, they're like, okay, that's, that sounds reasonable because they understand finance. They understand engineering. My dad has a PhD degree in chemistry. Wow. And also my mom, surprisingly, she has a degree in marine biology, which is <laughs> totally different. But um, now I understand why I love the ocean so much. Um, and so when I went into finance, they were really happy about that. And when I went into digital advertising, they were like, what is that? Like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> city group Smith Barney. It's like such a you know fortune 500 company. Why would you ever leave? And I'm like, mom, I'm getting paid like 25% more at the, my next job than this job. And they're like, it doesn't matter. And they just didn't understand the digital advertising world until, you know, until, probably when I moved over to MySpace at some point, they're like, oh, okay, we know what MySpace is. <laughs> before that, they're like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's so cool to hear. I mean, I don't want to date myself. But when I when I majored in computer science, my parents were like, what is that? Is that going to make you any money? Why can't you just be a traditional doctor? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think with parents, at the end of the day, it's like they want you to be happy and they want you to be financially stable. Yeah. You know, and exactly. it's, it's just a parent mentality. When you look at it from, from our future perspective, when we're parents in the future, we want our kids to do something that is sustainable, that can carry out their strength and give, provide them the life that, that, that we think that they should be happy with. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you demonstrate that you can be happy with this, you know, this new space, it's when they start building confidence in you, but they're not confident right off the bat. It takes a lot of time and effort to show them this is a possibility. I think it's just a natural reaction too because they're not familiar with all the new industries and fields that you can go into to make money now. So whenever they hear of something that they don't know about, they're like, uh, are you sure? Like, how are you going to make money like, like that? So it, it really just takes some warming up to do and to show them that, you know, this is a viable way to make money and I can show you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you kind of walk us through it. Like, what was that? What was the full transition like into this new world? And like, what has it shown you about the world? And how, like, talk about your cool experiences too. Yeah. So I started, so fast forward past, you know, my finance career and then now in the digital advertising world. Um, I want to say about a few years, maybe five years after I started working digital advertising, I I started working in sales and then I always knew I wanted to do something for myself. I hate when people tell me what to do. So <laughs> I think that's always um, 
one of the reasons why maybe other entrepreneurs start as well. Um, and I always wanted to equate my efforts and my work with my income. And I, I always thought that way ever since I started working. And um, so what ended up happening was I was actually on a weight loss journey to lose 20 pounds in about two and a half months. Mm -hmm. And then started asking, yeah, like, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. So then I started teaching people through an MLN and I know they get like a bad rep, but I actually had such a great experience um, teaching people how to like, you know, change, shift their mindset to become um, more open and also what they could do to improve themselves and to think of sales, not as like a snake oil or shoe salesman, or not that I'm knocking any of those jobs because they're all important. Um, but that like you're actually helping people, you're providing a service, you're providing a product that could eventually help them in the end. And mm -hmm. so with that mentality, I thought like, you know, I could help a lot more people lose weight if I just start posting this on social media. And so I started my blog to post the recipes of like different ethnic foods on that are lower carb that helped me lose weight. And that people were asking me because they're like, Tara, I don't want to eat salads anymore. I'm like, I don't want to eat anymore either. Yeah. So I started creating those recipes and then people started asking like, Hey, what can I eat? That's, you know, that when I go out to eat, because I don't like to cook, I don't know how to cook. And mm -hmm. so I started posting those types of foods that you could eat that are relatively lower carb on my social media channel. And then people started messaging me from like all over the world, like India, the Middle East, like Europe, they're like, hey, thanks for sharing this. Like, you know, because of you, I started losing weight, just making small tweaks. And and I always preach, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. So mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's that's basically how I started. And then the turning point for me of like going full for like go, going full time mm -hmm. is actually I was working for a company that was uh, working with influencers. Mm -hmm. And because I was already starting my blog and I was starting to become a budding influencer, I started working for the platform Tastemade and hosting shows. And it started to become a conflict of interest because number one, I was doing shows during, I started doing like one show during a weekday when I should have been working. Sorry, sorry to my old boss. Um, and then, and then uh, eventually I, because I was on Tastemade, I started getting sponsorships for the live show. And because I was doing that, I was like, oh, this is now becoming a conflict of interest because like, am I supposed to give my company a cut of this or how does this work? So I ended up deciding to like invest in myself and believe in myself and just take that leap of faith. I don't, I don't um, recommend that for everybody, but because I worked in sales and because I had been saving my bonuses, it did allow me for a little bit of a cushion to have that. Um, yeah. So, but that was basically the turning point for me to go on my own. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really yeah. awesome to hear. I mean, I think the, the one good nugget that you mentioned before is that it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Mm -hmm. I love that growth mindset, you know, because that can be applied to anything. Yeah. To, to anything. It's so applicable to like entrepreneurship or getting, getting even started with any sort of hustle, right? Because mm -hmm. I think the only the big the biggest thing stopping us from getting started is because we're we want it to be perfect, but we realized that quickly when you start any venture, there's no perfect time. You just do it, you know, and you make yeah. and you make it perfect. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you kind of like grew into this space where you know you realize that you were helping other people. You know, and you get to do what you love. 
as well as getting the satisfaction of people saying like, hey, Tinger, like, I love what you're doing. Like, I was able to lose some weight based on like what you were putting out. That's just, I thought that was like the best feeling. And that yeah. was probably what drove you to even continue, right? Yeah. So we know that you travel a lot around the world. Like how many countries have you traveled to when you started this entrepreneur journey? Yeah. And what made you like, what, how did that kind of start? Like, how did you decide, okay, I'm, I'm travel the world and start trying out different foods all over the world. Yeah. Be this cool influence that we follow on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think, well, I can't speak for all Asians, but I feel like inherently we love food, any kind of food that like tastes good. And so I started traveling, Back in 2007, way before I started my blog, and I started my blog around like 2015. And one of the main reasons why I did that was because I was coming off of a really hard breakup and I just wanted to go somewhere tropical and fun and good people and good food. So I am going to Rio de Janeiro. And I also have family in Brazil, like extended family in Brazil. And I remember my aunt, my mom's cousin had told me like, oh, you should go to Brazil. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, and so when I was coming off this like really harsh breakup, I decided like, you know, what? I need to go somewhere. And I thought about the Snoop Dogg video, beautiful. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, yeah. But I thought of that video and I was like, I got to go there. <laughs> so that's how I ended up going um, and started traveling. And because I had such a great time, I went back again two months later. And then every, every year, like at least twice a year, I just travel internationally to a different location. And I got really inspired by the people that I would meet along the way. Mm -hmm. um, lessons I would learn like from my dad about like not wasting food and going to Bali and seeing how hot and humid and how hard these people are working in the field to get your rice. And so from then on, I was like, okay, I will not wait. Definitely don't waste rice, but just be more cognizant of like, you know, eating or getting enough food for that day or for that week um, and trying not to waste food because people work really hard for that. So right? yeah, that is so amazing. Just hearing you say it. I, I think that a lot of people actually, um, you know, when they're unhappy with their job, they actually say, I wish I can just quit my job and travel and eat full time. Just like very much like you did. And I think that, that, is, that is the goal. That is a dream. I think that a lot of people think that, you know, it, it's so easy, you know, to do that, to do what you love. But can you talk about like, what was like the hardest thing to do that, especially because you were traveling alone and as a female solo traveler, like what are some of the hardest things that, that you had to endure just traveling alone? Yeah, and just add on Maggie too, like how do you run a logistics business while traveling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, the first few years I wasn't running a business. I was just doing it for fun. And then I had accumulated a lot of like friendships over that time period and a lot of knowledge with regards to food. And then when I started running my business on how to show people how to lose weight, I was taking all of that experience and putting it into the different recipes to show people. Um, and then while I'm traveling, I'm lucky where I have a virtual assistant who does help me from time to time. And also a lot of times, different types of campaigns or partnerships are very cyclical. And so there are certain time periods that like certain regions of the world, they need a little bit more press um, for travel. So then I'll work on those campaigns then. And then there's other time periods where like it's a little bit more food focused. So usually the last quarter of the month, I don't really travel as much because that's when all of the different brands are looking to uh, work with like, content creators to, uh, you know, hone in on the, 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 the holiday sales. Mm -hmm. well, absolutely amazing. And so 
you know, when you were um, starting out, you know, going traveling and stuff, can you talk about like, what was your most amazing meal that you had thus far? <laughs> okay. One of my most amazing meals, I do want to preface by saying hunger makes the best flavor. So <laughs> I was definitely very hungry. <laughs> one of my most favorite meals that I can remember was actually in Morocco and after a very, very long flight um, there and like looking for what's called a Riyadh, which is a bed and breakfast. Um, this ho- this taxi, he took us, to, it was me and my ex-boyfriend at the time. He took us to um, a Riyadh and on top of the Riyadh was one of the nicest like restaurants in all of Mer- uh, where was it? Not Fez, in Fez. And like there was some woman playing the harp. They had all of this food out and they were so nice and um, just showed such great hospitality as if they were your family. It was, it was amazing. If we got like a little bit cold, they had a blanket that they'd put on you. I mean, they were just short of like spoon feeding you. Yeah. <laughs> The food, if you love like the savory, sometimes slightly sweet uh, types of foods and almost um, like, and you want to try different types of foods, they have this thing called mezze plates. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a bunch of mezze plates. And then my, one of my favorite foods is tagine. So they had like a lamb tagine, they had like a chicken tagine. And I just ate everything. And they're like, oh, we have more food. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I <laughs> but it was it was just you know the weather was like 70 or like 70 73 degrees and it's like light breeze you hear the harp playing you have like delicious music I mean it was for me like one of those like memorable like food experiences wow yeah that's, that's awesome amazing I am getting hungry just hearing I'm about to eat after this I'm hungry <laughs> yeah I want to quickly talk about your your company Dash of Media um how, how did this company come about and how did you work with different brands and find clients for this company that you started? Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's kind of a situation where as a creator, I, you know, I get asked um, enough times where other brands are asking me like, hey, do you have any other creators that you could recommend for this campaign? I'm like, yes, I do. Because now I'm like, in this industry as a creator. Um, and then I would preface by saying, oh, by the way, I've worked in digital advertising for X number of years. And then, so I know exactly what the brands are looking for because I've literally worked across almost all of the Fortune 500 companies at one point, like every single major vertical across the entire US you could ever imagine. Like I've worked on it from anything from like auto entertainment, CPG to like even weird, like spammy, like weight loss or like obscure, like political campaigns. I ran those campaigns. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty well versed in what most brands are looking for. And so because I can speak both languages, um, a lot of brands are curious as to how to work more um, efficiently with creators. And so because of uh, this demand for, um, you know, that type of partnership, I was able to create Dash of Ting to put those two together. And of course I can give like more like a branding, like overall branding perspective for brands as well through social media. But my favorite is actually helping a lot of brands, uh, you know, find a particular, influencer that they're looking for to like hit the niche market pretty much anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. and not just that but because i'm part of the industry um i can actually create holistic campaigns where we could have a 
like groups of friends just promote one particular brand, like an online conversation like the Kardashians. And it's really hard to replicate that through the platforms, through other like managers that don't know who's friends with who, or like, you know, if there's tea or drama going on, but like, I know most of that information because you know when I'm in the industry on both ends. And also I do a lot of research and, and I love it. So <laughs> it sounds, yeah. yeah, that sounds so amazing. Yeah. You know, awesome. Out of curiosity too, like how did you find these brands? Do you just email them? Do you, are they contact you through social media and you maintain a list? Like how did you cultivate the brand list? Yeah. So some of my initial relationships actually came from um, my partnerships when I was working in digital advertising through other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of it has also been just uh, making connections through LinkedIn, referrals through friends, and also just DMing and messaging um like brand directs, you would be surprised. People are very hesitant, but at the end of the day, it's like, just reach out. If they say no, so what? Just keep going. Find someone else <laughs> on the brand team. It doesn't matter. Somebody's going to say yes. If, if you can position yourself to be of help for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And in terms of, you know, partnering the brand with the influencer, can you talk about like, what are some of the things that you look for to ensure that you're partnering the right influencer to these certain brands? Okay. The number one key thing is whatever brand I'm working with, I need to understand who is the demographic, who are they trying to reach? What is their age? Where do they, you know, where do they live? What is their lifestyle behaviors? And then based on that information, then I find influencers who have a very similar demographic. That way the influencer or the creator's demographic could be the brand's potential consumers. Without those two things being like a match, it just doesn't make sense. And I've seen this both on the brand side and the influencer side that, that they just don't really understand what you know, what the consumer, the audiences are like, and that's where the disconnect is. But because uh, I have this experience, I'm able to pretty much like pinpoint out who I assume that the consumers are. And then I have a client verify. And then I have a pretty good assumption of who um, the creator's audiences are based on the content that they produce. And then I put the two together when they make sense. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I think out of curiosity too, like, we know that marketing takes a lot of time and effort in order to to convert that into conversions, right? To sell product. Mm-hmm. Like in your opinion, like how often does a brand need to work with a particular influence in order to sell the product efficiently? Is it one post? Is it 10 posts? Like how, how does that process work? Yeah. It, you know, it, it depends on, like I have seen conversions as quick as one post, even a story. It depends, number one, on the price point. It depends how engaged their audience is and how useful this product is. So for instance, my particular audience is excuse, a little bit older, like late 20s, to about 45, even sometimes up to 50. Um, they're, they care about like healthy products because they care about their body and what they consume. So they're willing to buy products a little bit higher price point and they can convert pretty quickly if they see something that I'm showing them that they like and that that could be helpful for them. But other times, maybe there's no conversion because again, if it's not a good fit, they're just not going to convert. And also if the influencers are not used to like like teaching their audience um, something new, then oftentimes you'll see uh, the the comments saying like, oh, this seems spammy. I get that you need to like make money, but this seems so spammy. But for me, like I must be like selling every day, <laughs> selling, you know, ideas, products in a very unique way that so no matter if I'm actually selling a service or product, like 
they just assume it's because something there's something unique about it that they should try. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I, I know a lot of like influencer marketing platforms, the influencer is able to set their own rates and provide their own rate sheets and stuff. Are the brands able to negotiate with the influencers as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, through those platforms, usually they, they may already have like a set idea um, because my assumption is that if they're going through the platform, the platforms have a designated total budget amount. And then it's up to um, them to pitch that to the brands themselves and say like, Hey, these are all the people who apply, which ones do you want? This is kind of the designated budget. Um, if we want all of these people, maybe it's going to cost more, maybe it's going to cost less. Um, so yeah, or maybe there's like a set price or a set fee it just depends on the platform. But I, I highly encourage both ends to negotiate, you know, because at the end of the day, like no one campaign is going to be the same for one person versus the other, because you want to think about like, Oh, is this only going on? Um, my social, you know, social media channels. Is it going on the brand social media channels? Is this going to print? Are they going to like dark posts or whitelist um, my posts, like you know, to monetize? So all of those things matter. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's a really good insight yeah, into what you do nice. because you know a lot of because you know topic of social media influence is such a hot topic right now. Yeah. Like everybody wants to be a social influence because they see this glamorous life where you can do what you want, <laughs> travel the world, eat good food. Some parts of that is true, but it does require a lot of hustle mm-hmm. into it to maintain the and to maintain that lifestyle, right? Because yeah. the way we we see it, it's like Instagram is like a highlight reel of the best things that happen in your life. But behind the scenes, you know, you hustle like crazy. Those are the part that you want to highlight to people that, you know, that it does take a lot of hustle, drive and, and concentration to make these, these things happen. And as we're transitioning the topic over to social media, I know I've, I've, I've been seeing you a lot on Clubhouse lately. <laughs> yeah, so based on the topic of social media, what is your uh, opinion on being an early adopter for different types of platforms? and at what point should you start holding down and doubling down on a certain platform than the other social media platforms? Because it's just so many nowadays, right? It's just so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I say pick platforms that you absolutely love to be on. If I could start all over again, honestly, I would probably do YouTube. I know it takes a lot of work. And the reason being is it's the number two search engine in the world. Um, and and if you have like the evergreen content, like that's like the perfect place for it. Uh, Instagram is great and you can get bursts of like um, budget from brands this way. But in the long term of, uh, you know, your business, I think YouTube is better. I think owning your own property, like your own website is ideal. I have that as well. I'm actually utilizing Pinterest more to drive traffic to my recipes there. And um, I mean, I do love Instagram because that's where I make a bulk of my um, income, but I'm loving Clubhouse. I love I love meeting new people and because of the pandemic, it's a little bit harder. And I think Clubhouse is a really great way to do that. And mm-hmm. you know, just through the, the sheer sound of voice, you could tell, are these people sincere? Are they not sincere? And you can kind of call out the bullshitters like more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're spending a lot of time with these people. So I feel like the relationships become more intimate and closer and more genuine than compared to most other platforms. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you using a clubhouse to somehow um, create those relationships and build those relationships 
um, for Dash of Maybe and Dash of Ting as well? And have you created any relationships on Clubhouse for that reason? Yes, yes. So initially when I started, my friend was telling me, he's like, Ting, you have such a, my friend, uh, Wolf X Lion Jin, he's like, Ting, knowledge from your experience like why don't you come to clubhouse and just share some of this information and i was like okay sure if someone wants to listen to it but i wasn't sure what clubhouse was at the time yeah. and so when i went on all these people asked questions i was like oh this is great because i love to help people so mm -hmm. to me it was rewarding as hopefully it was for the people who are listening and asking questions um, and then from there, because I was doing it more often, I actually started to build relationships with other moderators or people who are just listening, but also would message me on the side, um, you know, basically either thanking me or asking me questions. Um, and then just like connecting like on two different levels. Number one, where I get to create with have relationships now with creators that I don't think I would normally have access to. So that's really cool. Like I, like yesterday I saw two creators like who followed me. I was like, Oh my God, they're following me. Like that's so cool. You know, <laughs> I get, I get giddy too. Even if I have like over a hundred thousand followers, like, I, I get excited. Um, and then, you know, and then I've got, because I'm teaching um, a lot of these, uh, people who are interested in this topic, including other brands, because, you know, sometimes some of the people working on the brand side, they don't have as much experience as I do, because I'm probably like a decade older than them, you know? Um, and so because of that, I, you know, I help them as well. And so like, I'm talking about like, like Roku, Weber Shandwick, um, Coca-Cola, and just connecting with them. But that's because I genuinely like to meet people. And mm -hmm. I think that shows and that's why they're more open to like working with me and like, and, you know, just like they say, shoot your shot. If they're like going to follow you on the app, then follow them back and be proactive and DM them and just say like, Hey, I love speaking with you. I'd love to learn more about how I can help your business. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. And just try to get on a call with them because no one's going to, once you get on a call with them, no one's going to say no, unless you really mess up, but no one's going to say no. So just do it. Yeah. I, I like that approach. And I do feel like clubhouse does level out the playing field right now. Mm -hmm. Access to people that normally will ignore you in an Instagram DM. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I have like Pete Cashmore and like and Lewis House and like Andrew Reichman and uh, Richmond and like all these people follow me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they even know who I am, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> so, really, really cool and and just connecting with people in different industries and and also I like going there for two other reasons. Number one, I like to learn from other industries, whether it's like Bitcoin, which I like crypto. I like to learn about cryptocurrencies. Um, and then also just, just storytelling about like within our community, just to, you know, kind of expand your mind. And then yeah. one of my favorite clubs I've been listening to is called Lullaby Club. Have you heard of it? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was late, late at night. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually um, in the Lullaby Club before it was the Lullaby Club with Axel, like when he had like 15 people in the room and I would just like listen to his music and and now he's just completely blown up and I'm so proud of him and it's it's really cool. So like you can utilize that platform however you want. Yeah, that's that's so cool to like hear. And I guess like the, the next segment I want to talk about is yourself and talking about mental health. Because mm -hmm. right? I feel like as entrepreneurs, it's awfully often a very lonely uh, path where you're filled with self-doubt, you're filled with fears, you're filled with what the hell moments, you know? 
Like how, what kind of measures have, I know you're solo founder too, which is especially mm-hmm. more difficult. Like what kind of type of routines or, or affirmations or anything that you do to keep yourself moving and moving forward? Yeah, you know, I first have to like give a big credit to my parents, especially my dad, who's always like, you can do it. Don't worry. Don't let other people tell you otherwise. And my mom would say the same thing. So I was lucky, even though sometimes they would have doubts like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, like I would have to tell them like, hey, I really need your support. I know you have a lot of doubts, but could you please keep it to yourself right now? If I'm not asking you money, please definitely keep it to yourself. Um, and then another part is that I have a friend named Shaman Durek and he helped me go through a lot of these different exercises to help remove like a lot of self-doubt and, um, you know, increase my uh, positive mindset and like to listen to YouTube channels and podcasts and all of those things do help. And and it's like any muscle, you got to keep practicing uh, these types of like reef, what they call like reframing, you know, instead of like, oh, gosh, I, I can't do this today. Just like, okay, it's a challenge, but let me find X, Y, three, X, Y, Z steps to make sure it happens. And sometimes I have to tell myself, like, I have no choice. And if you realize you have no choice, you've got to make it work. And for me, I told myself, like, I can't go back to corporate. I can't like tell my parents I'm a failure because that's not a choice. Like, I don't want to move back to my mom's house. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's that added pressure for myself, um, you know, that I don't want to, I don't want those things to happen. So I have to force myself to make it work. And I also want to say that one of my old, um, managers at one of my, uh, um, my advertising companies, she was like, Uh, like a military sergeant she would be like I would tell her oh I'm done like I couldn't find the answer to this she's like no (laughs) I was like okay tiger mom and I'm glad she made me she forced me to do that Mm -hmm. um and to not give up she's like you cannot uh give up until the VP of operations says that he doesn't have an answer to Uh and so I always keep that in the back of my mind like hey figure out a way there's a way so Mm -hmm. Well, love yeah. that mentality. It's, 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 it just definitely shows how strong you are as a person. I try. I, but uh, I, full disclosure, there are many days I do have a lot of self, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many days that do get very lonely because as you guys know, as entrepreneurs as well, like, you know, you're working, you're typing away, creating projects, um, you know, and whatnot. And like, so you're by yourself a lot of times. And I think people don't realize they just see, you know, the glamorous. I'm like, Oh, Tinger's like out traveling. Oh, Tinger's eating. It's like, but they don't understand like, Oh, by the way, I only slept like five hours last night. And for this entire trip, especially with my last trip to Mexico, they don't understand that. Um, I like had like a whole schedule. And then by the time it's like nine, 10 o'clock, I have to go to my room. I have to actually finish like responding to emails for like current campaigns, old campaigns, uh, new campaigns. And then, and then I have to wake up really early in the morning to like, like maybe like take certain photos of the state because now like starting eight o'clock, I have to leave the property and do all these other, um, projects or like, you know, other things for the tourism board. So Mm -hmm. I think people forget that. And sometimes I have to go on these press trips alone. And so I go back to my hotel at night and, you know, it's just me. And I mean, luckily I have friends all over the world, so I can call them (laughs) any time of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it does, it does get lonely when I'm like answering emails by myself. So I think having clubhouse and having kind of like virtual friends through that is like, Mm -hmm. it does help, but you know, it's not the same as in person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Just out of curiosity too, I think a lot of us suffer from analysis paralysis where it takes a long time for us to, to execute an idea it's just because we're so fearful of something, you know? And just to point, a point of reference too, like how long were you thinking about like this life that you wanted before you actually executed and left corporate? I feel like that jump for a lot of people is a huge hurdle and a lot of people never jump. And when they do, it's like they're so stricken by fear that they can't do it anymore. So I just want to know what that planning process and the thought process was like for you. You know, I think when I first start, I probably fully didn't become, uh, have my LLC or establish my LLC until maybe two and a half years into doing this blog because I was working part-time, um, partly fear, partly financial, um, uh, uh, many different things. And I think the turning point was when, you know, I like I mentioned, there was a conflict of in potential interest. Um, I just told myself, like, I have to jump and I have to just take a leap of faith. And regardless of people who doubt me, I can't do that for myself. If I do that for myself, I'm not going to go anywhere and I don't want to go back to corporate. So I think the, it's like the love, like either you're getting pushed or pulled. And I think I was getting like pushed in that direction. Um, and then eventually I got pulled more into what I'm doing, just, you know, kind of based on helping people and, and always sticking to that. Like, what am I doing? Cause there are a lot of days I'm like, oh, I don't want to create content. Like I'm tired of this or I'm just, you know, like sometimes I, I wish it would be easier for me to just go back and work for someone. So it could be a little bit mindless, but it's just not fulfilling. I think you can get stressed about, um, not having a job versus, and also stressed about having a job that you don't like that you're bored of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very, very true. I think that resonates with a lot of us, especially in Asian hustle network. <laughs> um, just being like a female Asian leader in this industry, did you have to go through any like barriers or obstacles? And if so, like, how did you overcome them? You know, I think in terms of barriers, gosh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of barriers that I've had to overcome just by being an individual mm -hmm. um, and maybe not being like a huge conglomerate, I think that was pro that's probably sometimes my biggest hurdle mm -hmm. um, versus being female or being Asian. Um, I think mainly because I just don't think of it that way. I just think like, oh, I'm a, maybe a small business compared to like these multi-million dollar businesses and hopefully I will get there. Um, I think those are kind of like where I think of, like I, I try not to uh, take race into consideration, although it is, it definitely is, but I just try to do it on merit and value and what I can bring to the table. And so even on my Instagram page alone, like I wanna say ma majority of my audience is probably not Asian, maybe 50% or less are Asian. And I have like a really diverse group of people who are following me. And the main reason is because I'm, I'm trying to appeal people who have a specific mindset versus someone with a specific cultural background. And the mindset is like, how can we be open? How can we like be more empathetic? How can we like learn from each other and, and, you know, enjoy each other's like food and culture and be curious. Um, to me, that's more important. And, and I think sometimes one of the biggest struggles just on my end personally is how can I convey what I want to say in the most efficient way, the most articulate way, and also in a way that's fun and, and, and entertaining. 
Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. I love that you bring your platform, you used your platform to bring people together because you try different foods from like many, many different cultures. So. Yeah, so I'm going to ask the second to last question. So what is the one thing you can do today to improve your business tomorrow? Um, ask for more help and get more help. <laughs> I am more <laughs> Um, it's something I'm working on because I like to be in the know of everything, but in order to, you know, move forward faster, I do need to continuously like build up my team. Um, so it's, it's something I'm working on. I do have, uh, a couple different people who are helping me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely just kind of letting go of the control a little bit and just yeah. trusting the process. And that's what I have to tell myself daily. <laughs> Every, I think every entrepreneur has that issue, right? The issue of control, the issue of, oh, you're not doing it right. Oh, I just do it myself, type of thing. But you're going to burn yourself out. You can't, you can't scale that way. Yeah. You know, so you have to learn how to trust and build. And building team is difficult, you know? Yeah. So. And, and also like you, you have to take time to like train someone and that does take time when I'm like, oh, I could just do it myself or take five seconds. But like those five seconds keep adding up to like a lot longer than as yeah. if you were mm-hmm. paying someone to pay some someone as well yeah exactly. absolutely um and so we have a last question for you but i might have a bonus question for you later on um but our last question would be what one advice could you give to an aspiring entrepreneur surround yourself with people that will continue to support you um even if it's through sharing words of encouragement Um, but ultimately you have to trust yourself. Don't let other people like, uh, you bog you down by saying like, oh, your opinion is not valid. You have to trust yourself and, and, and surround yourself with people who will support you because it's not easy. It's very difficult. It's very, very lonely, this process. Um, but if you can persevere and like keep those things in mind and how you can always help people, then you will succeed in what you're looking to do. Definitely. Love that advice. And our my bonus question that I'm very curious about is what is your hands down favorite food to eat while ensuring mm-hmm. that you're staying healthy? Oh, and staying healthy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, oh gosh. Like, damn it, what a catch. <laughs> yeah, question that caught me a little off. <laughs> One of my favorite foods that I do like to eat and I do eat often is this uh, noodle. It's called shirataki noodles. Have you heard of it? Oh, I've heard of it before. Yeah, so I don't, I don't get to eat it too too often. Yeah, it's a low carb noodle. You can get it at like Whole Foods or like, especially in the Asian market and also Mm -hmm. sometimes like, you know, the general markets like Ralph's. And I love it because it's like 10 calories, like almost no carbs. And you can make that into like any pasta dish that you could possibly want to kind of like, you know, feel like you're eating carbs and not eating carbs. (laughs) Um, But if it were like any guilty pleasure food that let's say calories didn't matter or carbs didn't matter, I would hands down eat tamales or mm-hmm. barbecue pork buns. Those are probably one of my two favorites. And then pizza. So I think that was the one of the first American foods I remember growing up eating was pizza. So yeah, yeah those three. <laughs> okay. I was, I was still going to ask you your guilty pleasure as well. Cause you sounded very excited. You knew exactly what, All right, you what is say. your guilty pleasure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. More the common questions I get is like, yeah, what's your guilty pleasure? So I always remember those off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different 
healthy types of foods you can eat. And I think that's what people forget is that, that they think like, oh, healthy food, it's like rabbit food or whatnot. But it's like, <laughs> and healthy, again, can be subjective for me. It's like lower carb foods. So for instance, if you want to eat lower carb foods, you can have like Korean barbecue, Japanese barbecue, like, you know, Middle Eastern barbecue, you can have like ceviche. So there's a lot of different options that you can choose from. And, and I'm just presenting those ideas to my audience. Right. Yeah. Love it. Amazing. And Tinger, how can our listeners find out more about you online? Sure. They can DM me on uh, Instagram at dash of ting. And they can also email me at tinger at dash of ting.com. And, you know, if they want to check out my website um, or like, you know, find me on Clubhouse, I'm on Clubhouse pretty frequently <laughs> to connect. So please. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Like it's so good hearing from you and learning from you. Thank you. Yeah. It was great learning about your, you and your story. Thank you so much for being on the show. Tinger. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.